Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Josh, co-founder of Urban Valor. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Valor podcast. Our guest today is Marine Combat Veteran Byron Rogers. Byron served in the Marine Corps as an infantry assault man. He was blown up multiple times during his combat tour in Iraq. Byron talks about coming out of his body and seeing himself while he was unconscious during one of these attacks. He describes the journey in detail, and it's an incredible story. Byron has stories that will blow your mind and you do not want to miss this. His energy and positive mindset are likely to motivate the shit out of you. If you enjoy this episode, go give us a five-star rating and leave a comment to help support our veterans. The bigger the community, the bigger the impact. If you'd like to contribute your story to Urban Valor or know anyone else who may, reach out to us on Instagram at Urban Valor TV or you can email us at team at UrbanValor.com. Enjoy the show. Rolling. What's up, Byron? Hey, hey, what's going down? Boom. <laughs> Thanks for being here, brother. It's an honor. Um, Thanks for having me. Um, well, how about you just introduce yourself? Just tell us your name, um, branch of service you served with, your job, and uh, the rank you got out. Solid. So my name is Byron Rogers. I was with the United States Marine Corps four years. Um, I was an 0351 anti-tank assault man with 3-1 Lima Company weapons. Uh, I got out as a corporal. Um, it was a good time. And now, um, when I was 21, I got straight into the executive protection industry, um, bodyguard, you know, doing that stuff. And I was blessed to get on one of the biggest international executive protection details in the United States. We hit over 60 different countries within the first year. I did that on repeat for about seven years. Um, chased the pager for a while, rebuilt my um, career on the East Coast, wanted to live a little bit of a normal life. So I moved down to Florida, rebuilt my career there, came back to Cali, started my own company. I own a private, a small PPO out here, a boutique private security company called Bravo Research Group. Um, I also uh, have my own executive protection school called the League of Executive Protection Specialists. We help um, really anybody, but I love helping veterans transition from you know the military into one of the most amazing uh, industries that's blowing up right now, the private security industry, doing what I do, protecting, putting teams around families and high net worth individuals and celebrities and things like that. And the third prong of what I do is... Um, uh, I have the Protector Nation where, you know, I believe my mission is to make the world a safer place by helping good people to become more dangerous. I want to increase on-scene accountability. I want evil to fear good. Uh, and so we have huge, large-scale live events for protectors of all demographics, both professional and civilian, uh, to help them learn multiple modalities over a three-day uh, span with some of the most elite protectors um, and trainers in the world. So, you know, a lot of this stuff is online. A lot of this stuff is in person. Uh, in essence, I'm a protector who seeks to multiply protectors in the world to make the world a safer place for us and generations to come. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, if I saw, Sir. if I, uh, if I saw you standing around somebody I was trying to get at, that I'd, I'd have second thoughts of attacking that person. That's the idea, man. <laughs> that is, that's the goal. <laughs> Um, what years was it that you served in the, in the Marine Corps? Uh, I was in the Marine Corps from 04 to 08. Awesome. October 18th. So, uh, where, uh, where are you from? Talk to me a little bit about, uh, your upbringing, where you were raised and what your childhood was like. 
I was born in the Bahamas, in Nassau, Bahamas. Um, my father was from there. My mother's from Washington State. Uh, when I was about four, they got divorced. And so I spent half my time, did school in the United States. And then, boom, I'd click over and spend the summers uh, with my father in the Bahamas. So I learned to swim, grew up spearfishing, which I didn't know was like super powerful. Black. I didn't know African-Americans didn't like the water till I got the Marine Corps and they were all like, yo, we're going to watch Rogers drown. And I was like, what are you talking about? What are you guys talking about? And then I saw all my brothers that were all drowning. I was like, no, our street cred's going down the drain, you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, that was really my upbringing. Then I got into football, played 6A ball at Gig Harbor High School. You know, we had an amazing, amazing year. Love that. I've always been a warrior. I've always been looking for, you know, I used to ask my father, you know, I used to ask God, like, Father, how can I serve and be a warrior? Um, my whole childhood, you know, I had a lot of guys try to be role models for me, but I honestly never was really able to attach to one because they were just kind of, you know, just good guys, you know, good dudes. But I was always like, you know, I needed something hard. So, you know, that is part of the reason I ended up joining the Marine Corps um, after I got done with, with football in high school. Mm. Um, awesome, man. Let's talk about that. What, what else uh, inspired you to join the Marines? Yeah. So, you know, I always looked for a reason, a way, you know, how can I, you know, as a young man, knowing that I have this warrior ethos inside me, how can I be a warrior for good? And I was like, I'm an able-bodied young man. Like someone's got to do this. I, 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 I almost need to do this. Like uh, I almost owe it to society being the way that I am and the way that I'm built and what I'm designed for. I always saw it as a calling. So that was part of it, you know, and then I wanted to settle my manhood in a way that um, no one could take from me. My father's a very hard man, a strong man, a very successful, one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the Bahamas, been in some magazines and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, he got shot at point blank range when I was a kid, uh, with, by a shotgun survived. Like he's one of those guys. Like I still might have to, like, I would still maybe have to shoot him. Like I might still not be able to fight him kind of dude. Right. Mm. So, um, I just remember thinking like, what can I do? That's going to settle my masculinity for me, you know, that no one's going to be able to take from me ever because I did something. And I was like, I'm going to go to war. No one's going to be able to say anything about that. And I'm going to settle this for myself. So that was one of my other big, big, big reasons, man. I wanted to do it for all the people that couldn't do it. Um, I wanted to do it to settle my masculinity. You know, every tribe since the beginning of time, um, you know, the boys would go away with the men and they would survive an ordeal. And that would cement them as men in the tribe. And so I knew I needed that kind of ritual. And that's a lot of what that was about. Um, and then I also felt like by the grace of God, I was created to be a warrior. And so I wanted to go to a place because, you know, I grew up with my mom largely. I got five sisters. I grew up in a place where I had to really kind of, um, I couldn't go as hard and fast and strong. I couldn't stretch my legs out, you know, as a man really in those environments. And so I wanted to go to a place where I could be as intense as I am naturally and it would be valued and it would bring something positive to the tribe. So I was like, I can really just be myself amongst men there. And um, that's what it was for quite some time. So yeah. those were kind of my, my reasons, you know. Um, do you have any specific reason why you chose the Marine Corps? Yeah, actually, I was in my uh, I was in my cafeteria in high school, and I just remember, you know, I wanted to play football for the longest. And a friend of mine, his father, had this weird twitch, and he used to play for the Chiefs. And I remember being kind of thinking to myself, you know, um, 
I don't want to twitch. <laughs> and then I remember uh, just being like, I know, I know what I'm going to do. You know, and I'm sitting there playing Ghost Recon, you know, like, um, and, and all that stuff. And then I remember Tears of the Sun came out and I was like, I'm so going to be like one of these dudes right here. Um, and then I, I remember I got this idea in my head of joining the military and I go in my cafeteria and I asked the, um, the army recruiter first. And I was like, Hey, honestly, you know, really, uh, I want, you know, I said, which branch is the best? And he was like, well, what are you looking for? And I was kind of like, well, um, I want to join a branch where everyone looks at me and they know I joined, joined the hardest enlisted service. I want every single day to be a challenge. That's pretty much verbatim what I said. I was like, I want every single day to be a challenge. I want it to be hard. I want it to suck. Because remember, I wanted to do something that would make me kind of special and prove to myself I have what it takes. I was like, I want it to be hard. I want it to suck. I want every single day to be a challenge. And he was like, and he kind of looked at me, he kind of smiled. And he <laughs> looked to the right, looked to the left, and he was like, you should probably just join the Marine Corps. <laughs> and, I was like, and I just was like, you know what? Thank you. And uh, then I walked right over. I walked next door and I was like, boom, sign me up. Uh, infantry, you know, I want it. I want I want it all. I want it the hardest way possible. I want to be a warrior. And um, yeah, man, we made it happen. Parents hated it. That's a whole nother story. Went to war, you know. Dad dangled me off the balcony of a hotel room after graduation when I told him about it. And um, as he's like hanging me off the balcony, he's like... Uh, why aren't you scared? And I remember just like sitting there and <laughs> I look up at him and I'm like, because either you're going to drop me off the balcony or I'm going to join the Marine Corps. And, <laughs> and he let me back up and, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he let me out of the hotel room and then he called me the next day and said, all right, I support you. Um, but just don't die. And, um, I remember that and I remember saying, you know what? And I hate in movies, where they're always like, you know, everything's going to be okay. And I remember always thinking, like, how do you know that? Like, how do you know we're not going to all die, man? Mm-hmm. And I've always drawn a lot of power from the concept of death. I've always thought about death. I think about death constantly. I live from a place of trying to live well so I can die well because I've experienced death. And um, even then, I was like, thank you, Father. Uh, I'll do my best. And um, my mom didn't want to give me my passport, so I had to go and make my own, get my passport for myself. And then... I got it done and I shipped mm. out. Wow. So um, talk to me about the Marine Corps, man. Was it what you expected? Did it challenge you like you wanted it to? Um, what was it like for you? You know, um, in a nutshell, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I think it was the best education uh, I could have ever received because it taught me so much about being hard. It taught me so much about how much life can actually suck. You know, once you get through that stuff, there's no pretenses about like, you know, you can always go back to, I'm not cold and wet right now. No one's trying to kill me right now. You know, and that's been such a a huge kind of force multiplier for me when it comes to thinking that civilian life is hard. I feel like if veterans just don't forget where they come from, uh, when you walk through fire, little else can touch you, as we say, right? Um, you know, when I got to the fleet, it was like juvie because my seniors, uh, it was like juvie meets Lord of the Flies meets Uncle Sam's misguided children. <laughs> my, my seniors just got back from the Battle of Fallujah. I was in boot camp when they were in Fallujah. And I just remember being like, man, I missed it. I was so upset. 
But when I got there, they were just psychos, you know, and they just got back from, you know, uh, the biggest urban engagement since Way City. And I remember my first squad leader, Eric Hicks, man, he's still my brother. I was talking to him on the way here and he's just like, you know, remember all that stuff you learned in boot camp? Unlearn that right now, you know. And, you know, there's a whole story about us actually just getting to the fleet and it just being insanity, right? But it was so good because it was like the pressure cooker I needed. I remember getting to boot camp and, you know, they're shaving your head and everything's you're changing clothes and everything was intense. And it was just it was it was beautiful to go into the belly of the beast and kind of be rebuilt and restructured. And now as a civilian, you know, and, and, and going through combat and, you know, getting blown up and realizing that, you know, you, you're not dead and learning how to push past, you know, you know, we talk about, you know, I'm a Christian and they talk about how God will never give you more than you can bear, but like, you don't know what you can bear. You've got no idea. And if you lean into life and the challenges of life, I believe that the challenges of life are really love. They're really uh, providence showing you kind of what you can handle if you lean into them, right? Um, and you find the purpose within the pain, you can unlock the potential in these processes um, that you're going through. So like the Marine Corps, you know, them hammering on us and hammering on us first in training and boot camp, you know, and then in the fleet hammering on us, making us strong enough like a sword, you know, and in the refiner's fire so that under the stress of combat, we wouldn't break down, you know, um, and then taking that and, and keeping that blade strong and then going out in the civilian sector and trying to maintain that nest egg of discipline, that nest egg of integrity in the sense that you can hold up and bear up under the pressure and stress of life and even succeed, you know, and train so that when you're in combat, it's easy and train so that when life hammers on you, um, you're just like, yes, sir, can I have another? You, this is nothing compared to what I do to myself, you know, and that to me is the highest form of self-love and I think the Marine Corps really positioned me in some amazing ways to, to value that and, and to carry that through civilian life. Mm. Sorry for the long answer. I'm no, long man, answer that's, that's, that's cool. awesome, man. That's, that's deep, super deep. Um, you talked about being blown up. And I know before, before you know, we were talking a little bit before this, uh, I think you said you got blown up about five times or so. Um, what was that like for you? You know, what, what happened? What were you guys doing before? Um, you know, talk to me about that. Yeah, man. I mean, um, getting caught like that, I think, um, really taught me a lot about how sensitive and fleeting life is. Really taught me how to, like, really be in the moment, you know, because you're just rolling down. So I was in a map platoon mobile assault uh, unit, you know, so I was in a weapons platoon. They broke us into two major squads. And uh, so we were kind of map mobile assault platoon. So if there's a fight, we roll to the fight. You know, I was a small gunner, so I'd have a small, I'd have C4, and we would just bring the heat, you know, bring the heavy guns and end the war, end the fight, right? So we were driving around a lot. We're mechanized, we're moving around, but we're in an AO that was 80%, um, you know, victim initiated IED. So you're going to get blown up. You're just going to, it's just going to happen. So, you know, knowing that gearing up, knowing that getting in the vehicle, knowing that all that kind of stuff. And then when it finally happens, I saw 13 IEDs in our convoys throughout our convoys. And then when it finally happens, it's just like, you know, you're just rolling down the road and everything's cool and you're just hanging out. And then it's just like, faster than that it's not even like that it's just all of a sudden like you wake up or you don't wake up you know and 
you know, you wake up and you're in total chaos and you're in a bunch of debris or you're crawling out of the underbelly of a vehicle or you're someplace you weren't when you, you know, when last time you were conscious and it just all of a sudden it's just like everything changed and you know, you're checking your digits and making sure you still have all your body parts. And then you're trying to get yourself together so that you can like fight and, and, and then fight valiantly and make sure your guys are good and make sure everyone's getting to safety and setting up security and all that stuff. And so, um, and, 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 you know, what I take from that and, and I, I'm big on like perceptual empowerment. So like everything that's happened to me, I find a way. I think of myself as a modern day alchemist. Like I find a way to make it serve me, you know? So like when life hits me as hard as it can, like I'm thinking to myself, like, nah, we got to keep going. We got to get back in the fight. We got to get our orientation. We got to figure out where we're at on the battlefield, where friendly units are. And we got to make moves. This is a daily thing. You know, I'm not talking about like the big things in life. This is every single day, you know, like something happens, knocks me off my rhythm. Boom. You know, like I, I've been hit, hit harder than this in football. I've been hit harder than this in Iraq. You know, I, I put myself through more than this. So it's, so for me, I take those experiences into life. And for me, every single day is war. I believe a warrior without a war, um, is, is, is like a, is like a man without a purpose. And that's a whole, I, that's a whole nother thing that I love to talk about and get into. But so getting blown up, I think the biggest experience I had with that was the final time I got hit. And unfortunately I didn't get to run my last mission with my unit because I had too many IEDs. Um, and, and they were worried about me, you know, sustaining long-term damage because of them. Um, so I had to actually get airlifted just cause we thought we were going to take contact. They didn't want me to get hit again. Um, but, uh, you know, we were just kind of rolling down the road, you know, just rolling down the road. And, uh, I remember I was like really angry, you know, and I was just sitting there and I was like singing this song that I was making up that I won't sing now. <laughs> <laughs> Semper Fi, right? Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like singing this little song in my head. Well, out loud with the boys. And I remember Doc, Doc Robinson, I'm still boys with him, man. And uh, I, uh, he's like, hey, Rogers, you know, you should probably sit back because uh, we're probably going to get blown up today, you know. And I remember being like, eh. I was like, if anyone hits us, dude, I'm going ham. I'm going hard in the paint. I don't care. And I just remember sitting there and like singing my little song. And then all of a sudden I was in a black room and I just was kind of like, there's a lot like this. And I just was like, where am I? You know, and I'm like looking around in this, this black space, you know, and I just remember thinking like, I, I was really kind of just so content. I was so fine. Like I was just fine. I was okay. And I was actually kind of like cheerful. And I just remember thinking like, where am I? Like, what's going down? Like, what am I doing? You know, like, how did I get here? You know, and I was able to recall my last few thoughts and I was just like, like, what was I thinking? And then I saw like, like in the matrix, like those old MS DOS computers, right? Like this blinking cursor. And it was like, why is the water cooler trying to come on my ass? Like that's what I thought. <laughs> that's literally what went through my head. Like, why is the, and I remember looking at that and being like, that's weird. Like, why would I be thinking that? And I'm still just kind of like chilling, you know? And I'm like mm -hmm. thinking like, what is that? Like, why am I thinking? And then all of a sudden I start to recall what happened and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was... I was sitting on a water cooler and then I was like, I was uh, on patrol with my boys. And then I, and then all of a sudden I was like, I was in Iraq on patrol with my boys. And then it was just like, boom, the deepest sorrow, the deepest sorrow I'd ever experienced in my life just erupted from like the center of my being. And 
at that point I started to realize like, oh my gosh, like I'm a pilot guts on the floor in Iraq. Like I died, you know, I'm 19. Uh, and then that's it. And I'm dead. And, um, I started to see my family members and I started to like, it was almost like I was like biolocating, like going to my family members. And I was like seeing like my mom washing dishes. And I was like, mom, mom, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I died in Iraq and she's just doing whatever she's doing. And I went to, you know, different family members. And I remember getting to my dad and like, I was so heartbroken. I was like, dad, I'm so sorry. I failed. I failed. I died in Iraq. And, um, I'm so sorry. And, and like, he couldn't hear me. And I'm like visiting all these people that matter to me and seeing my friends and all that. And then I get to my grandma and, uh, she'd been telling me since I was a little kid. And it's kind of like annoying to me because it's really cheesy. It's like touched by an angel kind of stuff, but like, it's what happened, you know? So yeah. I get there and I see my grandma and I'm like, grandma, I'm so sorry. You know, I failed. I died. And she's like, um, you know, Byron. And she used to tell me this ever since I was little, I started hearing her voice and she's like, you know, if anything's ever stronger than you, Byron, and I've done this throughout my life and it has saved me. And she's like, it's never failed me. And she's like, if anything's ever stronger than you, Byron, you just, and she's an old, old black Cherokee woman, you know, with mm -hmm. silver hair, you know, she's still out gardening and chopping down trees right now, mm. you know, and out in the country kind of, and getting yeah. up to Washington. And she's like, anything's ever stronger than you you just you just pray and you say jesus 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 by the third time it'll go away mm -hmm. and so my i just start praying and i'm like jesus 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 and then my buddy um my buddies can hear me and my buddies make fun of me to this day about it you know um and they're like yeah i heard you in the corner down in the undercarriage of the vehicle just jesus, jesus oh jesus jesus you know and i <laughs> and i uh I became conscious and I looked over at my buddy Wellerman who was sitting down and he was staring at my body. I couldn't really look at my body. I just saw him and I knew what he was looking at. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I started praying harder and harder and harder. And then all of a sudden I was in my body and I was like in the wreckage, uh, and the undercarriage of the kind of floor in this like hole. So what had happened was 60 pounds of 60 some pounds of homemade explosives was buried underneath the road. Um, and it exploded right under me, uh, directly, directly underneath me. And I was sitting on one of these Gatorade water coolers because I was the, I was the squad leader. I was the troop commander in the back. So I put myself in the safest place, you know, and so I'm in the safest place and I have all my guys in front of me and I'm like watching everything. And, um, you know, my buddy, uh, my buddy, um, um, uh, his name will come back to me, but, um, Foster is sitting in the front and he, he'd been blown up a lot like over five times like mm. maybe close to 10 times and he just came over the mic and he was like rogers i got a bad feeling i need to stop so i'm like roger that like all right stop do what you got to do and then we rolled up and right then boom i got hit directly and so i, I look over i see wellerman he's staring at my body i can't look at my body but I might start praying. I end up in my body and I, and I remember coming to, and I still couldn't move. And I'm just down there and I'm like staring at everything and I'm like conscious and I just keep praying. And then all of a sudden I just feel my body power back up. But while I was out, the thing that really, 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 really drove me out of my, my soul was the fact that I was like, I never lived. I was like 19 and I never went hard. Like I, like I did fun stuff. You know what I mean? But I didn't do anything that mattered. You know what I mean? And I, and I wasn't even conscious. And I had taken for granted the beauty and the gift 
of this miracle called life. Like no one knows what we're doing here. No one knows what our bodies, these fit over 50 trillion cells that are working synergistically right now to fight off all these diseases and all these different things right now that are allowing me to move. Like no one knows what this technology is. We're on a rock going at 60 trillion, 60 some thousand miles per hour through space. We have like this perfect field of of chemicals around the planet that gives us a blue sky and lets us breathe the perfect chemical concoction that's like held in this perfect synergistic balance uh, with trillions of different systems working together to support human life. And then if you've ever seen the, 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 the math equation for the probability of consciousness, us not just ending up just being germs and we're like these conscious beings, like, you know, I just realized in a split second that I had taken all of that for granted. And that's what broke my heart. And I experienced the deepest sorrow because I failed the people that I loved. And I experienced the deepest sorrow because I never really realized the miracle of that. And I remember telling God, like, if I'm, if you give me another chance, if I get to go back, I'm going to go so hard in the paint to make the most of this, to do, to, to contribute, to make it matter. Like, I'm going to go so hard to do everything I can to make this beautiful miracle you've given me worth it. Um, and, 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 and that was my promise. And so I look at this as my Phoenix moment. I look at this as a moment of death and rebirth for me. And I got power over my body again. And I was pissed. <laughs> like, and this like righteous anger came over me. And I just like broke out of that wreckage. And I remember like the, 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 the ladder, the seven ton was like jammed shut on us from the explosion. And I remember being like, I'm not going to die here. And I freaking kicked the back of the thing until it came out. Boom, boom, boom. And then, uh, I just remember looking over the edge and you guys been in a seven ton, you know, it was like seven feet down there and you got all your gear on. And I just remember looking over the edge and then all of a sudden I wake up in a field and apparently my buddies said, they were like, yo, you were like some, you had like superhuman crackhead strength. You woke up. You know, like, I don't know if y'all remember Tyrone Bigham's Dave Chappelle Red Balls, but anyway, you can, you can look it up after you watch this video, you know, and you jumped like 15 feet out the back of the seven ton. And then I guess I started to assault towards a building. Um, and then I became conscious again and I was in a field full of reeds around me and everyone was still in the vehicle. And that's when I started yelling at my guys, get out. And we assaulted, uh, we assaulted to a structure that was nearby and um i mean you want me to be real with you right now you want me to be yeah, real with uh, you this is this is all raw you want me to be real 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 with you real right now? no so we assaulted <laughs> to this structure nearby and uh i remember you know the whole city was quiet because we dropped leaflets we've been fighting there for a while and there's no one in this little like like little city area in the souk and um we found these six dudes and if you've been overseas if you've been in the you know in the sandbox you already know you know if you run across you know uh the locals uh and they're rocking like their man dresses and their proper garb they're probably just herding sheep you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. but if you roll up on them and they got track suits on 
and 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 tennis shoes. Mm. They're probably moosh. You know what I'm saying? Like they're probably moosh Hadin, right? So me and the boys roll up on this structure. We find these six guys. We pull them out. We put them all on their knees. And, you know, it's obvious to us that these are the guys that blew us up, like based on where they're at, the stuff they have on them. We're like, okay, these are the guys. We pull them out. They're on their knees. It's just me, my unit. There's really not much supervision. And I remember uh, looking at these guys and being like, who speaks English? And uh, kind of the alpha, their alpha looks at me and he goes, I don't speak English. In perfect English, right? Mm. So he's like, I don't speak English. And um, I was like, and I remember thinking to myself and my boys look at me and like we had a bunch of AKs in the vehicle and stuff from some stuff we seized earlier. And uh, I remember the homies were just kind of like, yo, we got drop weapons, man. These guys just try to kill us, you know. And I remember thinking to myself like, well, we could just end this here. Um, and then, you know, the grace of God, I feel like the father's always been with me. And uh, there's a few stories where I saved my life in Iraq. But I remember that still small voice inside me kind of like letting me see the future, kind of like see paths. And I looked in the eyes of my guys and I remember thinking like, whatever we do here, they're going to have to live with. Um, and I was, and then I looked at my other buddies who were broken up and they were hurting and they were bleeding and they're trying to hold it together. You know, they're like trying to like be honorable, but they're like jammed up. They just got blown up. They're like coming apart. And I remember looking in the eyes of my other guys and being like, yo, these young men are going to have to live with whatever decision I make. And then I just looked at the ringleader and I was like, okay, good to go. And we chose to arrest them instead of, uh, instead of anything else. Um, and some of the dudes were kind of like really pissed about it. And some of the dudes just did what I said. Um, but I know I made the right decision. Uh, uh, I know I made the right decision because we knew if we arrest them, they're going to get right back out. We're going to see them, you know, with a bottle of water and a number written on the back of their head. And they're mm. going to be smiling like, ah, I'm Siddiqui, Shukran, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, we just basically paid them and let them back out on the streets to live. And I told them, hey, well, we'll see you out on the battlefield another day. And uh, yeah, so I think I did the right thing. Yeah. Was that a hard decision to make? Yeah, man, it really was because the law of my being wanted to just make it right, right there. I was like, we're at war. Like you're combatants. Um, you just tried to kill me and you, and more importantly, you tried to kill my guys and there's a price, you know? So there was a really logical conversation going on there, but I think, um, being able to see, you know, the future and looking out for my guys had more to do with just, uh, the logical trying to right the wrong with the power that I had. I I think that really protecting my guys had to do with looking at the overall trajectory of their lives and making a higher quality decision based on, um, the long game. Mm -hmm. And and I genuinely believe that was, that was the solid one, but it was hard in the moment because, you know, seeing your guys hurt and, and then knowing that someone just tried to kill you when you get blown up, you have this flood of emotions, you know, and knowing that these guys legitimately had the audacity to try and kill us. Those were some serious drivers to make me want to drop the hammer on them. Man, that I'm just thinking about that and trying to and trying to put myself um, not just in your shoes but in your Marines' shoes, and uh, you know to be able to you know make a decision like that to have the restraint and to think about you know they're going to have to live with this. Like, how is this going to affect them? And you know, a year from now, three years from now, ten years from now is like. That's a, that's like a super, like, 
it shows a huge amount of maturity that you had out there during that moment, especially after just getting blown up. That's, that's, that's a, yeah, that's wild, man. <laughs> it was heavy. I that's thought about that decision for years, you know, and it, it's not until, you know, I kind of tell the story and I tell the story and telling the story is therapeutic. Y'all like, if you got these stories, talk about them. Yeah. Um, that I really am like, nah, I settled into now that I'm here, you know, yeah. I've settled into that was the right choice because otherwise I'd have something in the back of my head being like, it was, a, I think it would have been a righteous kill, but they yeah. weren't armed. They were yeah. on their knees, you know. Did uh, everybody make it through that? Did anybody, did you guys lose anybody from? Yeah, everyone made it through that. I was the, I was the worst off. I just fractured my elbow and got a class. I think it was like class four concussion. I was out for something like seven seconds, but time's way different in that other realm. Um, mm -hmm. Felt like I was out for a while, you know, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but uh yeah, it was, everyone else was okay. There was some, some other concussions and, you know, small damage. And yeah. we ended up fighting for a while and then getting back to base. And I got a call home, Semper Fi. Mm. <laughs> nice, nice. You know, came up on a call home, you know what I'm right. saying? Got blown up, got to call my, you know. So, yeah. It's all right. Um, mm. Byron, while you, while you were out there in combat, um, in Iraq, did you have to, uh, did you lose anybody, anybody close to you, um, during these missions? During yeah, man. I mean, the one that stands out to me was, yeah, we lost, you know, um, my buddy Stacy. Um, there was like a rash of sniper attacks where they would drive by and they would, uh, shoot guys on post, um. And so they would just, you know, all the, you got like six vehicles out there to pick from and they would drive by and then snipe somebody, uh, from the trunk and like move the, just like the DC sniper kind of set, set up, uh, snipe somebody from the trunk and then they would drive off. And, um, you know, they got my buddy Stacy, uh, and, uh, we showed up right after that to the scene and had to deal with everything and try to save his life and get him, uh, get him on the bird. Um, and then, you know, that was the first time I really saw, you know, the blood of a Marine and, uh, it like really filled up the space we were in trying to work on him. And, and, uh, it was really like, I mean, it was like an inch and a half thick, you know, and I remember on the ground and slipping around in that and like trying to move him and try not to drop him while we get him on the bird. And, um, right after that, we... There's a scene in Platoon where uh, some of the guys get killed and uh, nailed to a tree and humiliated and the guys go to the nearest village. And we went to the nearest village and it was a lot, the feeling was a lot like that scene. It was like, I mean, I remember looking out the side of the seven ton over this field and I remember just seeing Marines almost as far as the eye can see. And there was this little village. I mean, you know how their villages are. Maybe it was like 40 houses in a pile, in a, in a clump in the middle of the desert. And I just remember, and it was like flames were coming with us. And I just remember looking at everybody. And I remember going into that city and being like, we are about to make this right. And fortunately, we got into the city and we start just we ascend upon the city and we are just, just ripping through the city, ripping through all the houses, going through, interrogating everybody, doing what Marines do. And the whole entire city was basically like, those guys at the end of the, at the end of the block did it. It's two brothers. They're down there. 
They're the bad guys. Like, no one, no, there was no, you know, no one was trying to cover for these guys. Mm. And um, we, you know, we finally, we took our time. We made it down to the end of the street where these brothers lived. It was exactly as everyone said. The building, everything, all the intel we got was dialed in. We found a dragon off in their house. Um, the second platoon, I believe it was, the platoon where Stacy was, uh, they got there first. I'm pretty convinced these guys survived because, you know, the brass was there with them when they got there. <laughs> Um, and, uh, we ended up getting those brothers and taking them back to base and, uh, you know, mm. you know, they got back to base, and yeah. they ride, but they made it back. Yeah. <laughs> I have one more story. Uh, yeah. do we have time? Or yeah, we absolutely. Okay. So there was a mission that was like, it was called Pegasus bridge and, uh, it was just about an hour down the street from where we were, but we got intel that there's like a real concentration of uh, bad dudes. You know, the Muj was were down there and it was a different type of fighter. Um, and uh, I remember we were out on a patrol and I found a big cache, cache weapon cache uh, close to that AO. So we started exploring that, that AO. Um, and they sent India Company down there first and India company man they were bad dudes man they were a boat company and they were kind of like the baddest they were like the baddest company in our you know India Kilo Lima like they were the dude like that that was a company I was like glad I didn't go to because like they were all like you know six foot somethings like they all were like elite the elitist ones of you know my battalion criminal Kilo that's where all the like legal waivers were they were always <laughs> up to hook that stuff right right, right. Yeah. You know, in Lima, we were a track platoon, but the boat company, man, those guys were legit. Um, and uh, they, we got a report the next morning that they were reduced to like 60% combat effectiveness. Like they took like 40% casualties mm. overnight. And this Pegasus Bridge mission was like our Black Hawk down, you know, and like my best recollection of it was like we got back, we, we got told we're going to augment india company and we're all like weirded out we're like well we got to help those guys out for like we don't take casualties like that 40 percent. like what the heck's going on out there um and so we gear up we roll out we get out there we spend the whole entire morning pulling vehicles um like just trying to recover from what happened that night before they would blow vehicles down cliffs the, their ied game was like a like was very sophisticated, you know, uh, they would blow vehicles into wells. <clears throat> so we spent the morning trying to like dive into the wells and get our crew serves and get them out and like blowing vehicles in place and doing all this stuff. And I'm sitting in the back of, um, um, you know, at a certain point, my, my, my Sergeant Tonto, he pulls me out of not Tonto. Like you guys know, his call sign was Tonto. Um, they he <laughs> pulls me out of my seven ton and he's like, Yo, Rogers, hop in here with me. I'm going to give you the plan for what we're about to do. We get to the next stop. Um, so I hop in his Humvee and I'm sitting back there. And like, I've always, you know, by the grace of God, just had these like spidey senses, you know? So mm -hmm. like all of a sudden, like my hairs are standing up and I'm like getting fidgety. And I'm like, man, I got a bad feeling. Like something's, something's, something's going to, something's going on. Like something's not, something's not right. And I remember hitting houses there. And I remember the local population, they kept on, we would expect them to do the normal, like, haji dance, like, you know, rigmarole of being like, hey, Ana Habibi's Marines, Marines, yeah, and like, la hamusha hadin, la hamushkala, like, everything's okay, we love you, there's no problem, come on in, you know, like, want some chai, like, we're all good, and then, like, find out they're lying to us or something. But it wasn't like that. It was like, they were like, you guys seem like good kids, 
you should probably leave. There's a lot of moose here. And they mm. kept kind of being like, hey, like, you guys honestly, like, like leave. You should really leave. And I remember being like, hey, what are you talking about? Like, we're, we're in the motherfucking United States Marine Corps talking mm. about leave. You know, like, mm. we, don't, we don't run. Uh, like, if there's a fight, we're about that life. And I remember kind of being like, this is weird, you know. And we kept on, like, you know, trying to uh, get vehicles and stuff from the night before and all that. And uh, at a certain point... Uh, we're rolling down the street and I'm in this Humvee and my sergeant's kind of giving me the plan uh, of what we're going to do with the next stop. And uh, sure enough, man, I um, uh, I start freaking out and I look in the seat in front of me and there's a Bible. I grab the Bible. I read some verse. It really helped me. It was great. My driver's starting to freak out and he's starting to like get a little bit weird and he's like getting really close to my seven ton. And we're like, hey, you know, his name was Crescent. We're like, hey, chill out, bro. Like, pull back. They're going to get blown up. We're going to get hit by secondaries and get two for one. Uh, so like chill out and pull back. And, uh, he's like freaking out. And I look at, uh, Tonto, my sergeant, and I'm like, Hey, Sergeant, like, you know, I'm not a weak dude, man. You know, I'm a brave dude, but honestly, I need to go back to my seven ton. Like, I don't feel right. This feels off. Something's wrong. I just want to go back to my vehicle. that's like big and strong and all that stuff. You get hit in a, in, in a Humvee. It's a whole different kind of ball of wax, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, he's like, yeah, dude, when we get to this next stop, uh, you can hop out, pop back up there with your guys, all good in the hood. So I'm like, solid. So I'm sitting back there and uh, Cress is freaking out again and he pulls up closer to the seven ton and I just reach up and I'm like, bop. And I'm just like, stop, calm down pull back, hold your position. And then I look forward, he backs up and I look forward and I just remember seeing this flame go into the bottom of the V, the bottom of the seven ton. And I remember watching the seven ton body armor just open up like wings, just like, and then it just comes back in and then sucks back into the ground. And, um, my heart just starts to pound because I'm thinking like my guys are back there. Like my dudes are back there. So I'm like, getting out of the vehicle as fast as I can. And you know, like they, 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 they'll detonate an explosion, an IED, and then they'll set up a secondary nearby. So when you run in, boom, they blow up the triage unit and everyone, and they maximize casualties. So all I'm thinking is I watch this explosion. When I see the seven ton, the wings open up and come back down. And then I see my buddy, um, I see, uh, uh, Tommy Martinez, man, uh, Tommy gun come out the back and he just flops out. Boom, and he falls all the way from the top of the seven ton. Boom, mm. flat on his face on the ground. I get out of the vehicle and I'm running in. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to die now if they detonate a, an ID, but I got to get to my guys because these guys could be bleeding out. And I start grabbing my dudes, and Tommy's okay, and like everyone's banged up. And then we open the cab, and uh, my buddy Narum just like full lops out of the cab, like just slimes out of the cab falls on the ground and we start like working on him and looking at him and he's completely non-responsive. Tonto comes in, checks his pulse and he's like, he doesn't have, he, he doesn't have a pulse. And then, um, uh, Tonto stands up and starts reading off his kill number. And he's like five, four, nine, zero Zulu, like reading his kill number. And, uh, I just pulled his kill number and gave it to Tonto and I'm just staring at him and I'm thinking like, yo, like this guy's like what, 19? You know, like I spent the last few years of this guy's life with him. I'm thinking about all the runs I went on when he was having trouble keeping up. And I was like back there just trying to encourage him and like teach him just, hey, want, just keep pitter patter. Keep going. Keep going. I'm like, I know this guy better probably than his family does. And he's never going to return to him. And um, we're zipping him up in a body bag. And 
right as we start to zip over his face, I'm like staring into his eyes, like kind of saying goodbye. And I, and, and I remember like the clock in the back of my head is going because I know we have a lot of snipers in the area. And, you know, you have that ditty going like I'm up. He sees me. I'm down. Like mm-hmm. I need to move. I need to make I need to stop. You can't focus on this. You got to focus on your boys. They're still alive. Make sure they're in position. And I remember staring at him. And like for some reason, that still small voice inside of me, which I believe is the Holy Spirit, was like, yo, stare at him. And I was staring at him. And then all of a sudden, right before we zipped him up completely, he blinks. And I was like, he just blinked. And we rip him out of the body bag and we just start laying into him and just basically sternum rubs and just like kind of just beating him up to keep him stimulated and keep him alive. And, um, you know, doing CPR and just like kept on like hammering on him just to keep him stimulated. And we kept this up. I made sure all my guys were in security positions and we kept this up for a good, like it felt like an eternity, but it was like 10, 15 minutes till a bird could get there. You know, the wrong one showed up. Then we had to wait to the second one and we got him airlifted and he survived. And while all that was happening, my guys were in security. And then finally I was like, all right, cool. Like that's dealt with. Uh, I, I, I didn't think he was going to survive, but he did love you near him. And, uh, I remember rolling up next to Wellerman and I remember thinking like, all right, dude, get low. There's a lot of snipers around. So I get ready to take a knee and I hear, you know, that still small voice was like, look at your feet. And I looked down at my feet and I see like two hacksaw blades and these two hacksaw blades have like little toilet paper buffers in them to keep the hacksaw blades from touching. And then there's these wires that go into the ground. And, uh, so I know instantly that's a pressure plate and I'm looking and I have an, I have a freaking pressure plate right between my legs and the catch is there's a huge crater like this size from the explosion right next to it and it looks like the wires go into the crater so i was like oh and this was probably the most eerie moment of my life uh it was almost like you know my father like it was like god was like i've taught you how to hear my voice if you don't listen right now this is where we get off the ride and i remember looking at looking around and i was like Hey, to all my guys, you know, and I'd already told them to look for secondaries. And I'm like, this is what blew you guys up right here. Cause I thought that it had been expended. Mm. And I was like, look down and I saw it and I was going to go and like mess with it. And I was coming down to push it. And right, right, right before I pushed it, I heard that voice again. It was like, don't push that, pick it up. And I was like, eh, it's already been expended. And I went back into logic and then instinctively, I just felt like, whew, I just felt like my protection left. It was, it made my hair stand up. It felt like, like, like I needed to listen. It got my attention. And right before I went to like push it, I was like, eh, eh. And I just kind of like grabbed it and like kind of yanked on it a little bit to check and see if it was still alive. And uh, after the EOD report, after they came and cleared it out, sure enough, I was standing on top of two 155 anti-tank shells you would have found like wallet sized pieces of my Kevlar like 200 yards away if you had found. I'd have been straight pink mist. Me and Wellerman, who was sitting right next to me, who didn't find the secondary. God bless him, I love Wellerman. But I would have been pink mist easily. We would have both been. And I, uh, uh, it was one of the eeriest moments of my life. And that changed my life. And then right after that, man, I, um, one of my other buddies, one of my other guys, uh, Gully came running back and he said, hey, hey, I found another pressure plate. Um, over there. And so I just pulled my whole unit off the street and we assaulted into a house and we hit this house with the rage, <laughs> with rage. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately no one was in there. So no one else got hurt. And then we ended up, um, you know, long story short, the guys that we evac on ground 
it took them 20 minutes to make it an hour drive. I mean, it took them 24 hours to make an hour drive back to our base. They took such heavy contact. We went firm in a house. We took contact, ended up having to flee that house. We spent the night inside of a graveyard because they wouldn't mess with us inside that graveyard. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the next morning we made our way back to base. We got attacked by a camel spider, which is crazy if you know what those are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm trying to take a pee. This camel spider's like, ah. Uh. Um, and, uh, and we made it out of there. But that was like our Black Hawk Down mission. Um, wow. That, but um, it, it's helped me, you know, in life. I bet, man. You know, That's wild. Take a minute. Woo. That's wild. So after having been through all that, man, <laughs> yeah, man, like, you know, what's it like trying to get back to what people call normal life, you know, you know, for lack of a better term, um, you know, cause you did four years, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, mm. you know, what, what, what was it like transitioning back for you? Yeah, for me, I mean, it was crazy because I, I felt like I was just fine, you know? And I remember seeing this meme that was so good. It was like, PTSD is when you realize that you're never going to be that cool again. And it's the saw gunner and there's like an explosion going on. And like, you know, um, I thought I was just fine, but I think spending so much time waiting to be attacked and getting blown up and having to go back out there, um, and all that stuff really, you know, it was the, I got addicted to my own dopamine. You know, I got addicted to the intensity. I got addicted to that way of that warrior way of life. Um, guys that come back and just keep going back over, going back over. I call it being combat tutionalized. Um, and so when I got back, like I said earlier, I got lucky and I got right into executive protection. So I was 21 making six figures. Um, and so for me, I didn't have to deal with, you know, the whole kind of cognitive dissonance that comes with not having a good job and being validated by uh, a new, a new purpose, kind of a new job. Um, I had all the assets I needed to, to make or break myself. Um, and so what I started to notice, you know, was that I started chasing that dopamine. I started chasing that, that high. I started chasing that intensity. A lot of guys get a motorcycle and kill themselves. Right. I remember our first libo, they were like, one of you statistically will get on a motorcycle and kill yourself on our first libo. And I was like, dude, we just survived Iraq. Of course not. Like, and it happened, mm. you know? Um, and so I was like, well, I'm not going to get a motorcycle. Um, but I, I started traveling the world. I got into executive protection. I got all this money. Um, and then I started like just looking for that intensity everywhere. And I found it in drugs, you know, and I found it in, in all kinds of stuff, man. So, I got back and while I was extremely highly functional because I have a strong mind and like I could be, I, you know, I was like smoking weed and taking Molly and like every single night of the week, you know, um, I was just doing all these things. Fortunately, I don't have a very addictive personality. I'm always willing to die over something and I was willing to die over my freedom. So I never let anything really get too much of a hold of me, but like I would be doing that stuff Monday through Sunday, you know, and, and taking lots of drugs, you know, and, um, but I could still wake up at, at seven, you know, eight, nine, hit the gym, mm -hmm. have a normal day, smoke a bowl, hold it down, mm -hmm. you know, and, and actually be very highly functional to where no one really ever, ever, ever suspected or second guessed 
anything, you know? Um, and I, I, I believe that had a lot to do with me just wanting that intensity that I had on the battlefield. Um, and I did that for a few years and then <clears throat> for, for years. And then I, uh, finally was like, look, I got to turn over a new leaf. Like eventually this is going to catch up with me. Uh, and so I just shut it down and I moved from Cali to Florida and just like kind of try to put it all behind me and <clears throat> found some new habits that would still allow that beast inside me, allow that warrior inside me mm -hmm. to have purpose, but to channel all that darkness and to channel all that intensity and into a positive outlet. And I mean, if you watch any of my social media stuff to this day, you're going to see that beast. Like you're going to see that intensity. When you see me talking during a workout, you're going to see him. But the difference is now I work him out and I exercise him. Um, and I, I allow him to come out in the right environments. Like you can't hurt anything in the gym. You can't hurt anything really in the mat room. I think the, 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 the mission of a good warrior is to learn to channel that darkness. We have that for a reason, but we have to learn how to use it for good. Like you have to learn how to turn into the werewolf or the like and, and learn how to put it back, um, at the right time. And you're not going to slay a dragon if you don't have that, you know? Um, and so I, I really started to focus on those disciplines. And I think that's how I've been able to become like a more healthy warrior that's thriving because I'm fighting my fight. You know, mm. that alarm goes off at 4 a.m. <clears throat> it hurts every single time, mm. you know, but I hurt so good because I have a purpose. I have a fight. And I think to myself, if I did all this for Uncle Sam, who, how, the, how dare I don't do it for my, for, for my life and for my loved ones and for the guys depending on me and for people who are watching me to see if they can do it. Like, how dare I don't be a warrior now for everyone, you know? Mm. So I started getting the reports of uh, suicide and that's when I got into psychology and life coaching and writing my book, finding my own meaning, finding meaning after the military because um, I had to do something to positively impact that fight. Don't not start, and so many people make this mistake, don't not start finding your new fight because you know you're a far ways away from having some stratospheric amazing result. Find your new fight now and start. This is a freaking campaign we're talking about. This is a lifelong campaign. Find something. Start to hammer away at it. And when you go to bed, you're going to have the emotional nourishment you need to start looking yourself in the eyes and having respect. The most important respect, <clears throat> self-respect. The most powerful power, willpower. And those things will gain momentum. And before you know it, it'll be less about the destination, but it'll be more about... <clears throat> loving and valuing and the fulfillment that it comes that comes from actually being on the path and the journey of finding your new fight winning these little battles losing these little battles but fighting these little battles and you'll be truly amazed and give yourself a year you know and and, and execute it at a 70 80 percent ratio for a year you will be amazed at who you can become mm. that's the game what a way to end it man Thanks. Uh, thank you for your service, Byron. And thanks for everything you're doing, brother. It's an honor, genuine honor. It's a privilege, brother. Boom. Thank you for being here. Heck yeah. Push it to the limit. I can't go no more. Red light, no way.